does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Holtz on the move left to right. Back in the throw is Ellinger on play action. Feeling trouble in the backfield. He throws it upfield. It's picked off. This time the Texans have it at the 20, at the 15, 10, 5, and it's a touchdown. A pick six by a defensive lineman. Ellinger shuffles in the pocket left side. Scanning, probing, fires upfield. The pass is tipped and intercepted at the goal line. And it's Kirksey, Christian Kirksey on the return. Third and eight for the Texans. Moving right to left. Deep drop for Mills. Shuffling left. Taking a shot downfield. He's got a man and it's picked off again Rodney Thomas Ellinger out of the gun looks left hangs in the pocket fires in the end zone wide open a touchdown Mo Ali Cox pulls out the lead touchdown on in D.Y. Mo Ali makes it 27-24 they're at the Indianapolis 48 yard line with just under 90 seconds to go holds by a touchdown 31-24 out of the gun goes Mills ball in the far hash Three receivers to the left, backs to pass, five-step drop. Fires down the far sideline, has a man, that's Brandon Cooks, did he stay in bounds? He did, that's a catch all the way inside the red zone. 58 seconds to go, here's the game. It's fourth and 20 for the Texans at the Colts, 28-yard line. Empty set for Mills, five wide, three go right. Flush out of the pocket right side, now being forced back in. Throws it downfield to the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown! And that is Jordan Aikens, and the Colts had a clear interception at the goal line. It was Rodney Thomas who mistimed his jump, and the ball went right through his hands into Aikens' possession into the end zone for a score. Lovey wants to catch an early flight here. Texans lose this game. They're guaranteed the number one overall pick in the draft. Let's see what they do here on the two-point conversion. Ogunbowale the back to the left. Mills trying to throw it. On the two-point conversion, fires upfield into the end zone, and it's a catch, and it's Aikens. Again, the tight end has killed the Colts today. Two touchdowns and a two-point conversion, and Houston now leads at 32-31. The Colts lose another heartbreaker. They lose another game here at Lucas Oil Stadium to wrap up the season. It's done. It's over now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I had a dream last night, and I want you to tell me if this dream was close to accurate. Did but Josh I, Groban, Mark? I had a... No. Uh, <laughs> my wife would love it if it was, though. Kind of sounds like him. I, I had a dream that the Colts played a game against a team that, with a loss, would have held on to the number one overall pick in the draft, and... The Colts were trying to win that game, and yet the Colts are so abysmally inept and pathetic that the team that was trying to hold on to the number one pick in the draft won, and it was such an egregious yet predictable victory over the hapless Colts that their coach still got fired. Right, yeah. Kyle McNair was so mad at Lovey Smith, he fired him for, I, I would say, executing a comeback against the Colts. I would put it the opposite. I would put the Colts' futility led to further embarrassment. Yeah, I was driving to Lucas Oil yesterday, Jake, and I'm thinking, all right, in what way will the Colts embarrass themselves today? Yeah, that's kind of been the trend here. As of late, I thought, you know, getting down by double digits, what, five minutes into the game was probably going to be the level of embarrassment, but lo and behold, fourth and 12, fourth and 20, two-point conversion, Mark Dykton, tremendous there on the opener, um, another level of embarrassment, and mercifully, it is over, four, 12, and one, seven straight losses, 10 of 11, and now how does Jim Mercer react to, as I've said now for months uh, the most embarrassing season in his ownership. It, to me, so much of it boils down to this question for Ursa, Jake. 
Again, Jeff Saturday just went one and seven. He had a negative point differential of 80 in those eight games. By any account, it's one of the worst interim stints you'll see in NFL history. I, th- I think we have this like misconception that the interim head coach just goes 0-8 and, and loses every game by 40. That's really not what happens in the NFL. I mean, hell, you saw Steve Wilkes go 6-6. Six and six. Denver, yesterday, gets a win with their interim head coach. Um, so the question, if I'm Jim Mercer, would be this. Does that mean that this was too much for Jeff Saturday and he's not qualified to be the permanent head coach? Or is this a reflection of the roster that Chris Ballard made? Or is it both? Because in my mind, Jim Mercer continues to be very open-minded to keeping together uh, the brass that right now is at the GM and the head coach spot of the Colts. I sent a tweet fairly early in the Saturday night game between Tennessee and Jacksonville. I think it was misunderstood and and, uh, understandably so. I I didn't do a very good job of wording it. But I simply said uh, the the Tennessee Titans have a quarterback that they got off LinkedIn like two weeks ago and they're up 10-0 in the AFC South championship game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I realized Tennessee had lost six straight because Tannehill was out and Derrick Henry was out. But but the point being, even though I realized the Colts do have Jonathan Taylor, but Tennessee going into, and you could say it's an indictment on Malik Willis, but, but Tennessee going into the AFC South championship game on a Saturday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars felt comfortable or confident enough starting a quarterback that they'd had for 17 days and then still looking relatively offensively competent simply because of a comfort level in the pieces that were around the quarterback position. So for the franchise that didn't go out and say it's about more than one guy, they were able to compete in a big game because they have a roster that's about more than one guy. The Colts, on the other hand, did a rotation all year long of three different guys at quarterback, and it was the same old song and dance every single time because everything around them, at least on the offensive side of the ball, was underperforming. Uh, Black Monday's here. As Jake said, uh, Lovey Smith fired late last night. And so right now, four openings in the NFL. That would be Denver. That would be Indy. That would be Carolina and Houston. The draft order looks like this. The Chicago Bears... Sit with the number one overall pick. The greatest win Lovey Smith has ever had for the Bears, Mark? Put him in the ring of honor that doesn't exist yet. Or would Do that it. be the NFC Championship bring game Davis back Bring Davis Mills in. in at halftime to flip a coin or something. Whatever you, you want to do. want to bring Jeff Saturday in. I mean, considering how you blew that game there late. Uh, so yeah, Chicago hold the first pick. Houston at two. Arizona three. Indy four. Seattle five. Obviously, we will break this down a whole lot in the coming weeks and months. Uh, the biggest question for me is how much does Chicago want to King Ransom that number one pick? Because that is exactly what they can do. And if this draft ends up being viewed as Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud in some sort of tier and then a big drop to the next quarterback, the Colts have got to go from four to one if they want to get one of those two quarterbacks. So? If it's viewed Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud... Is Chicago staying at one? Yeah, it, that that's the big wild card though, right? Here's the I don't thing. think there's this defender. Will Anderson, I know, gets a lot of hype out of Alabama, but I don't think there's this can't-miss defensive prospect that Chicago's going to sit there at one and say, we can't leave this spot. I think, and Mark can speak to this a little bit better, I think Chicago would be well-served to trade back, mm-hmm. collect a lot, and continue to build around Justin Fields. People yeah, were asking I, who you're going to take at one. I said, I would be absolutely shocked if the Bears are still at one by the time the draft rolls around. They have so many holes on their team. The question is, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are really good prospects, but are they the level of prospect that a team is willing to trade a lot to move up to number one? Like, could someone, for example, say to Arizona, if if Chicago stays put at number one, could somebody move up to, to trade with Arizona and Vault Indy? I'm not ruling Arizona out either. I, I know. If, Arizona's it, a curveball. If they have a new regime in there, Kyler Murray, I don't think that's a guarantee. Yeah, but either way. that contract extension. I know, but again, if you're going to hire new people. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray are, 
you know, supposedly peanut butter and jelly. If somebody else comes in there, that could be totally you, different. What kind of jelly do you go with typically? Just the regular grape. Same. Fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, good morning. Peanut butter or do you go almond butter ever? Uh, no, I know. Uh, it's way too sophisticated for almond, almond butter. Almond butter's pretty darn good, to be honest with you. Uh, good morning to you. It is a Monday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It is Kevin Aquaria, 93.5-1075. The fam, plenty to talk about. I mean, a full plate to begin the week for us. Mike Chappell, who is the dean of college, or excuse me, of uh, NFL writers when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts in town, going to join us at 9 o'clock. Uh, Mike Chappell, of course, with CBS4, Fox 59, covering the Colts it has since the time the Mayflower trucks arrived. But there is other stuff to talk about. For example, uh, Indiana losing yesterday to Northwestern, the Pacers getting a win, but the Colts will be the primary topic of discussion because the year mercifully has come to an end. And now we kind of turn the page less about you know what they did or didn't do in that particular game to get a win and more about who stays, who goes, what happens in that regard. Kevin, I guess the first question to ask for you would be, in your estimation, and I realize there's no definitive answer here, but just based on your experience being around it, in your estimation, today is January the 9th. Give me the date that you think we will have a clear answer on the general manager and coach situation for the Colts. Not necessarily on who's going to be doing it next year, but on whether or not the two that are currently doing those positions are here next year definitively. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, the back half of January, potentially the end of the month. I mean, insert your jokes here that obviously you thought you had that signed, sealed, and delivered back in 2018 until Josh McDaniels said, watch this after the Super Bowl. So that lingered into the month of February. You know, I've brought it up before in the show. We've seen Ryan Grigson do the season-ending press conference this week, which I believe Chris Bauer is going to do that tomorrow. Um, Still waiting official word on on Ballard doing the season-ending presser. Uh, But then we saw Grigson get fired, you know, a few weeks into the month of January. And I guess that is a question that you have, Jake, is if Jim Irsay gets into this head coaching search, which I would expect would take multiple weeks, and all of a sudden he's blown away by a candidate, or that candidate says to him, hey, if you want me, I want to go a different direction personnel-wise, would Ursay grant that? And would that alter Chris Ballard's role within the organization? So I think there's a couple of layers to it. I don't really expect... I mean... I don't really expect any sort of Black Monday announcement from the Colts. Like, Jeff Saturday is the interim. You have to have a full head coaching search. That's pretty cut and dry. Like, the Colts are not going to announce today that Jeff Saturday has been, will not be a coaching candidate. I, I fully expect Jeff Saturday here in a few hours when he meets the media to say that he wants to pursue this job full time. Um, I guess that would be a bit of a surprise. A bit of a surprise if he's all of a sudden had a change of heart in the last month. But that's it. I mean, technically, the Colts don't need to make any sort of announcement. They've already fired their head coach, and that would be Frank Reich, back during the season. Ballard is under contract through 2026. For the time being, I still think he will be you know, operating in his role. How muted is that voice? I think that is a question. But, you know, I, I cannot stress this enough. You have got to take advantage of this coaching search if you are Jim Irsay. And I really am curious how candidates will react to the opening here in Indianapolis. Will they truly want it? Will they be invested to get deep into the process with Indy? Um, I think that is a concern that I would have um, when you talk league-wide. Because let's be totally honest about this. Jake Denver will not be calling Jeff Saturday's agent to interview him. Carolina will not be calling Jeff Saturday's agent to interview him. Neither will Houston. Jeff Saturday's going nowhere. If you want him, you're going to get him. So exhaust the interview process. Look at all these different candidates. He's their safety school. That's what I've been saying all along, right? Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he is that. Um, but again, how Jim Mercer is going to operate with all of this will be, you know, anyone's guess. It, it It's not a decision that obviously an answer is going to come on anytime soon. But Jake, when it comes to quarterback this offseason, it's the most important personnel decision this organization has faced, I would say, in three decades. Manning and, and, and Luck were were rather obvious. There, there was a definite path to go down. When you sit with the number four pick, it's not as clear. So in my mind, what the Colts do at quarterback here 
this offseason, given a little bit of uncertainty in just how you find that next quarterback, uh, it's the biggest decision this franchise has had personnel-wise in probably 30 years. Yeah, there are so many areas, I think, Kevin, that we thought the Colts were in decent shape that this year illuminated also were not in good shape. The offensive line being one, that's probably the biggest mystery to me. Does it really matter who you put in at quarterback if they are playing behind this line? They tried every, you know, they tried to go with the saged veteran. They tried to go with a guy that would be more mobile. They tried to go with the young guy that was more mobile. Nothing worked. Um, I'll tell you one interesting tidbit that was passed along to me. And you tell me if I'm totally off my rocker, Kevin. Somebody sent me a thing, somebody that works down there, and they said, you know, it's interesting. After the game, Ryan Kelly was on the Works at Lucas Oil, works for the Colts. Works works at Lucas Oil, I'm sorry. Works at Lucas Oil. Um, Hey, after the game, Jake, Ryan Kelly was on the field for an unbelievably long amount of time taking pictures with his entire family. His grandparents were out there, his parents. They were taking pictures at midfield. Not uncommon. It's the end of the year, right? Um, and But he said, uh, the only other person that I've seen that kind of thing with was last year with Jack Doyle. Is it possible that, that someone like a Ryan Kelly could surprise people with an early retirement? Yeah, I mean, he's what probably got to be close to 30, if not 30. Um, he's obviously been through a lot off the field. I think physically he's battled through a lot. Uh, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world um, to me. I think he's got a couple years left on his contract. I think he's one that you kind of throw into the, hey, what do you do with this guy moving forward group? On that end, and again, there's just so many personnel questions that will inevitably unfold no matter what happens, really, with what you do at GM and head coach. As Jake said, Mike Chappell's going to join us at 9. Uh, that's kind of an early rise for Chapp, but I was talking with him over the weekend, and I don't think there's anybody more plugged in um, than than Mike Chappell. So I thought with Black Monday here, um, Chapp would be the perfect person to have on and what he envisions for the Colts here in the coming days. The Pacers continue to be such a, frankly, like a beacon of light uh, here in the market from a sports fandom standpoint. Midway point of the season, they have won 23 games. They close it out really, I would say, mostly on the defensive end. Friday night against Portland, and then yesterday evening against Charlotte. You know, it was almost fitting in a way. We've talked about this with the Colts. The Colts have no closers. Stephon Gilmore, I guess, was the only closer the Colts had. And he doesn't play yesterday, and sure enough, the Colts can't close uh, that game. What the Pacers have this season, which is such a 180 from last year, Jake, is Tyrese Halliburton has shown that he wants the ball late and oftentimes can make those plays late offensively. But Miles Turner is a closer at the other end. And his ability to erase alter, protect the rim, and entering this season, I was thinking to myself, okay, I feel like the Pacers are going to make a jump in win total, Like, but but why? You know, okay, saying it is one thing, but why? It's the end of game situations that I thought they could make a jump. Turner was out for all of last year, or for a huge chunk, I should say. The fact that you have a closer in Halliburton on one end and Turner on the other end that is a huge reason why they've made this turnaround really in the late game, the clutch moments, all of that. Again, they get two wins, Portland Friday, Charlotte Sunday, at New York coming up Wednesday night, the lone game here uh, until Friday, Saturday, a back-to-back at home. Did you see the reports? I can't remember if it was since we were together or since we did our last show. Uh, the Miles Turner apparently turning down offer number one. I did see that. Yeah, I think that was over the weekend. So, yeah, I don't think we've had an opportunity to chat about that. So is that of worry to you, or do you think, yeah, it's gamesmanship? Uh, deadline spur action. I think it's a month today, the trade deadline. So that's a lot of time, Jake, between now and February 9th to get on the same page. But I tweeted out on Saturday when I saw that news, if he does not sign an extension by February 9th, you have to trade him. You have to trade him. You, you have control for the next month, Jake. Somewhat control. Once the trade deadline comes around, and if he doesn't sign an extension, you've lost control. And you can't play that game. 
Right. You have to get return on him. You cannot think that you're going to get to the summer and think, oh, wow, we can execute a sign-in trade. There's a lot of things that have to happen Boy, he is for you to get to the sign-in trade. He is such a big part of what they are right now, though. Part of my tweet on Saturday was, it would be a major loss. It would be a huge loss, but that's the reality of, of this game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did find it notable, but still, a month is a long time to get back on the same page. How about Indiana losing at home? I, I've never heard this before. I had to chuckle just because I've never heard this kind of candor, if that's the word. Um, yesterday, I got in the car and I had to run. I was doing some stuff around the house and needed to run an errand. So I get in the car and I turned on Don Fisher um, in Indiana and I hear Don Fisher say, well, this Indiana basketball team flat right now is getting its butt kicked by Northwestern. And I thought, wow, like that's pretty, that's brutally honest from Don Fisher. They were down 12 at the time. Came back. Um, Are they going to miss the tournament? I know I asked that to Rake on Friday. Threw the caveat in there of injuries matter. I... <laughs> I know we, we are still probably a couple of other home losses away from that conversation I, I being... I think it's fair to, to start to ponder, right? Very relevant, but I was looking at their schedule last night. We know what the road means in the Big Ten quite often. Difficult to win on the road. If you look at the home games that Indiana has upcoming, it's Wisconsin, it's Michigan State, it's Ohio State, it's Purdue... I mean, those are pretty quality opponents inside of Assembly Hall. If you can't control home floor, and again, the road is going to be a struggle for you. Boy, the... <laughs> I don't know if it's a slam dunk. Again, it sounds like Ray Thompson, I think Jeff Rabjohns reported, could be back before the end of the season. We'll see when Xavier Johnson gets back, but defensively. Just such an issue. And I, I didn't love the Mike Woodson excuses after the game. He immediately goes to Xavier Johnson and Race Thompson on the bench. Defense should be something that isn't as personnel-driven as some other stuff. And, and for him to go to that quick cop-out, I thought um, I thought was pretty weak. In addition to that, you know, why are we doing cigar-smoking victory parades about recruiting if you only have two guys on your team that can lift you? I mean, I know he's a young player. Wasn't Malik Renault supposed to be like a five-star, change-everything player? Tamar Bates, wasn't he supposed to be a guy that, you know, hey, he's a big-time scorer? Uh, you can go on and on and on down the line, right? But And this is true not just at Indiana, all teams, but are they really just a two-person roster? I mean, Race Thompson was really important. I get that. Uh, and he's out, and Xavier Johnson was really important. So I guess I should say, were they really just a four-person roster? And now it's just down to Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen hood Shafino. Only three-name players apply? I, I, is that where they are? Some impressive response by Purdue uh, losing Monday. They get road wins again at Ohio State, which we talked about on Friday, and then at the Palestra yesterday. Second halves in both of those games. Down at halftime, two road games. They win each of them. Again, Zach Eady continues to be, should be the front runner for college basketball player of the year. Um, 30 and 13 for him. And Braden Smith, huge on the road from the freshman point guard in both of those wins. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like, I always get to this Monday, the second Monday in January, and I'm like, oh yeah, the national title's tonight. Oh, totally. I totally yep. forgot until yeah. I saw well, it. Why is night. it not Saturday night? I've always been confused by that. Why was it not two days ago? Is it because they had the football NFL? But the NFL order? typically they doesn't usually do always it. go right. the last Saturday because of it's the, the only season. sporting event tonight, right? But can't you? I mean, going up against NBA games on Saturday nights really going to alter you? Well, but Saturday night you have you know NFL footballs. But typically playoffs. that's not the case. It's the first year the NFL has slotted right. that final week of the season into the Saturday games. It just, to me, would make a little bit more sense to continue to play on the most common day that we think of your season. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I do think having it on a Monday night, I guess that was just their thought, was it then everything's centered and focused around it. It seems like it would be harder for fans to travel to, right? I mean, if it's a Saturday, you can go. Monday night, you're you're sacrificing some things. L.A., right? 
That's where we're at tonight? I think that's right. Is it in the... SoFi? Yeah. Uh, last it be like midnight by the time that game ends? I thought I saw 7.30. I would love if it actually kicked at 7.30. I feel like 7.30 means like 8.08 kick. Uh, last I saw, Mark, and feel free to update me, was it 12 or 13, the spread? Uh, I'd have to check on that, but that sounds right. Here's the problem with Cinderella teams. This happens in the NCAA tournament as well, every year. Uh, everybody feels like in the NCAA tournament when George Mason makes the Final Four or Butler makes the Final Four or you know some Cinderella story out of nowhere makes it, that it's this great heartwarming story that the country rallies around, and the reality is the ratings go down. Tonight, Georgia and TCU. TCU is a great story. Great story. Plus, you know, uh, KG quarterback that's just, you know, a plucky guy that just makes plays, head coach that's taken a circuitous route to get there that was picked to finish seventh in their conference, and here they are. But TCU Georgia is not as sexy, even though everybody would hate to watch it, so they say. Georgia Alabama, Georgia Clemson, Georgia Ohio State, Georgia Michigan, Georgia Notre Dame, any of those games would do better ratings and have higher interest than Georgia TCU. And I hope TCU wins. I think it's a great story, and I think it's a, a really good team. Yeah, I saw That's, Sonny yeah. Dykes mention yesterday that entering this season, they only had four guys on their roster who had ever played in a bowl game. You don't get this in college football, that this type of story in the national championship game. I would think the biggest worry for TCU, I, I actually think TCU is a can can hang in there. My worry is Kirby Smart was so pissed about Georgia's effort against Ohio State. That's now a week long of we need to get refocused again. So I don't know if you're going to have, and it's a national title game, you shouldn't have this, but I don't know if you're going to have like a natural overlooking given the spread though is at 13. Mark Dykton, you happier about the Bears number one pick or the Packers losing oh, last night? Oh boy. I, we were taking down the Christmas decorations in our house over the weekend, and I was like, maybe I might want to leave them up a little longer. This felt like Christmas. That was my perfect Mark's Sunday. Mark's just chucking ornaments Poor, around the house, thrilled. Oh my Poor Motman. He pretty much called what would happen there, didn't he? Oh, I have that audio, too. And you know what? Do you? Se- yeah. Seattle. my ringtone, I think. Seattle almost lost to the I mean, easily could have lost to the Rams, and that would have been Detroit would have gotten in. For those that went to bed late last night, uh, I think Aaron Rodgers just threw another interception down the field, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Detroit with some gutsy play calls late, and they beat Green Bay. So the final NFC team is Seattle and the AFC. You saw it with the 1 o'clock results. New England losing and Miami winning. So it will be Miami traveling to Buffalo as the seventh seed there. That Naeem Hines moment yesterday, pretty darn cool. Which one? Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, I Alluding to the opening kickoff, but obviously. For those not aware of it, Buffalo, Naeem Hines, I can't imagine anybody's unaware of it, but you know, so much emotion with Buffalo back out on the field and Naeem Hines taking the opening kick. It had been three uh, three years and three months since Buffalo had a kick return for a touchdown. Naeem Hines taking the number three to heart and taking it all the way back and then deciding that, you know what, even though it had been three years and three months since the last time Buffalo did it, he said, let's just do it twice in the same game and did it later in the game. You know, that moment, Jake, and then John Brown's touchdown going over to Denny Kensington, uh, the assistant athletic trainer for the Bills who performed CPR on DeMar Hamlin, handing him the touchdown ball. I thought that was a pretty cool moment in Buffalo yesterday. We'll take your calls, 317-239-1070. Again, Mike Chappell going to join us at 9 o'clock. It's our final installment of fan tweets uh, per usual some ones that really, really made me chuckle yesterday from that one. We'll break it all down for you. Good Monday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in. Kevin Aquari, 93.5. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. 
Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. 1075 the fan. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. We're underway as New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. Draw that one up, write that one up any better. Um, and I, I was just told by Kevin Curran, it's been three years and three months. <sighs> it's the last kickoff return, so it's pretty cool. Rodney Thomas, high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin's, had a chance to visit with him this week, called Hamlin a mentor, made the two and a half hour drive to Cincinnati Tuesday morning to see his his former teammate, and boy, just imagine the emotion going through him. A show of solidarity between the Broncos and the Chargers, both number threes, Derwin James and Russell Wilson holding up the number three in honor of DeMar Hamlin. It's a beautiful day. Obviously, everyone knowing the news now, um, the great news that DeMar Hamlin on the mend and Buffalo, lots of tributes to him around the National Football League. Good morning to you on a Friday. This is Kevin and Query, or excuse me, a Monday. It's Kevin, I wish it was a Friday. Kevin and Query on 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Colts season is complete, mercifully. And we have several that would like to talk about it. Before that, I figured, Kevin, we'd each kind of just kind of observe what we saw over the course of the year. And to me, I, I think it's really pretty simple. And do, that is. Do we have to? Yeah. <laughs> I remember back when I was a kid and you took science class and you did science fairs and those kinds of things. And you had, whenever you did an experiment, you had what was called the control. And the control was the one thing that you maintained as consistent as you changed the ingredients in experiment number one, number two, or number three, let's say. And... And then you saw how things responded to the control and you tried to figure out different variables. For the Colts this year, you know, the control, if you really look at it, they changed the ingredients around a lot of different things. But the the control maintained, the, the one thing that was consistent, I guess, was just, you know, you changed the coach. You changed the quarterback. You changed the offensive coordinator. The control was basically the people in the trenches or just the overall supporting Legos to the main piece. And what you saw, no matter what you changed in terms of the way you tried to to use around them, was the same result. And I don't mean this, I, I promise you, I don't mean this as any sort of like a personal indictment, but you tried different coaches. You tried different coordinators. You tried different quarterbacks. And I know that in a vacuum, and I know that Shaquille Leonard was not on the field. 
And I know that Jonathan Taylor for a lot of the season was not on the field. But in the end, the one thing that seemed to be the control was that the Colts roster just isn't very good. And that's not to say that individually it doesn't have very good players. For whatever reason, the way that it was constructed meant that it was not it was not good enough to support a change at quarterback. It was not good enough to support a change at coach. It was not good enough to support a change in offensive coordinator. It was not good enough to support some injuries at times at the running back position or the skill positions on offense. Defensively, I thought they played well. Zaire Franklin yesterday set a record for most tackles in a season. He has a Gary Brackett-type feel of underdog story about him. But the overall reality to me, Kevin, is that what we saw this year for the Indianapolis Colts was an absolute indictment of the way they were constructed and the areas of where they were constructed that we were told were going to be the most reliable in the trenches, on the lines, and those things flat let them down, and it is time to blow the whole damn thing up and start over again. Yeah, um, I agree with a lot of that, Jake. Again, it's a top-down issue for me. When Jim Irsay got involved in this season, the season went absolutely off the rails. Um, if you look at where you're at from a roster construction standpoint, as you pointed out, again, I always felt like the Colts are a bit of an outlier in the NFL, and it was only a matter of time before it would catch up with them, and I think this season it really, really caught up with them. Um, and I'll go back to something I said earlier. You know, This interim stint, this two-month stint by Jeff Saturday is one of the worst you'll ever see in the NFL from an interim head coach. And so if you're Jim Irsay, you've got to sit back and say, what does that mean? Does that mean that this guy was in over his head and he's not qualified to be our permanent head coach? Or does this mean the personnel got exposed big time? And it's a deeper issue roster-wise than Irsay's willing to admit. Because Irsay doesn't want to go there. He has said publicly several times that he feels like the personnel is good enough. Um, That's the question that I have leading into this week. And the the rest of the month of how will Jim Irsay react to the most embarrassing season his franchise had? Is firing Frank Reich the one move that he feels like is going to solve everything? Because in this two-month period, it didn't solve anything. Kevin, in your opinion, just a yes or no answer here, okay? In your opinion, did the Colts go into yesterday's game determined to win the game? Yeah. Okay. The Colts went into a game at home determined to win against a team this year that had the worst record in the National Football League. And in trying to win at home against a team who hasn't won here since 2018, who has the worst record in the National Football League, and whose season was circling the drain, they still couldn't beat that team even when trying to do so and the win by that team was so impressive to them that hours afterwards, they said to their head coach, you're fired. That's how bad the Colts are so bad. They are so inept that they were able to go out and put forth effort to be out inepted. That's an issue. If you tell me like, listen, you know, they were, they were actually, they were kind of tank. No, that's not what we were told. Jeff Saturday's going all in. And yet, you couldn't beat the Houston Texans? You look at the AFC South this season, again, the laughing stock division of the NFL per usual, and in all six games this year, the Colts were 1-4-1 and against the vaunted AFC South, so that, that speaks to everything. And you look at those six games, in all six of them, they were down double digits. I mean, that is just such a pathetic pathetic effort in the games that matter the most. And if Jim Mercer goes back and wants to listen to what he said all offseason long about how much this division means and what Tennessee has meant to his franchise and his undressing of people inside of that building when they've lost to Tennessee in years past, well now, throw on top of it, getting shut out by Jacksonville, not beating Houston in either of the two matchups. When If Jim Mercer wants to go back and look at his preseason comments and then evaluate his team afterwards, he will clean house but I'm not holding my breath that he is he, he's going to do it right now as I sit here on Monday and again it's Jim Mersey things can change in a blink of an eye we'll talk to Mike Chappell about it at nine o'clock it would not stun me at all if Chris Ballard has maintained the role that he has 
and that Jeff Saturday is a... I, I tweeted out, in Jim Mercy's eyes, Jeff Saturday is a legit candidate. And I know that might frighten some people, and it's a big question of how and why. If you're Jeff Saturday at this point, do you want to come back? If you're Chris Ballard at this point, do you want to come back? A lot of financial reasons for Chris Ballard to want to come back. I get that. So we'll see how it all plays out again. Uh, on today's front, I don't really expect like these sort of announcements internally from the Colts. Jeff Saturday will meet the media a little bit after noon today. It's locker room, you know, clean out day. The 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 flights to the Caribbean come this afternoon for players. Um, and then we're supposed to hear from Chris Bauer later this week, maybe as early as tomorrow at his season-ending press conference. And the head coaching search will follow. Outside of that, you're kind of at the mercy of Jim Mersey of if and when he wants to chat about things. So again, Mike Chappell going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour to talk more about this. We'll take your calls, 317-239-1070. Again, we'll do our fan tweets of the game uh, to round things out. Here. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Kevin Corey, 8 o'clock hour on a Monday. Do you think the uh, Rick Venturi, oh my God, pretty much just sums up the entire yes. season? That absolutely should be. That is the soundbite of the year right there. And that that was a, uh, I decided to call it the, the two pick conversion because Houston converted into the two pick instead of the one pick, right? And then the Texans mm, said to Lovey Smith. I don't know Smith, if that's your best work. Thanks. The, the right. Texans said to Lovey Smith, um, listen, you went up, because I want to make sure I'm clear here, Kevin. The Colts were trying to win that game? Correct. Uh huh. Yep. So the so the Colts were trying to win at home against a team who had one win and one tie all year against the Colts, mind you, and they still couldn't win. I feel like that. Oh my God! From Rick Venturi was very similar to what he said when Jalen Hurts had the parting of the seas. <laughs> it was. He was like, "Oh my, is this happening right now?" Uh, Mike Chapel, Fox Fifty Nine, CBS Four. Um, the Dean is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Chap, uh, appreciate the time. I know it is a, a, a hair early for you. Um, I, set, I, set, I set my alarm, so we're good to go. Okay, I thought about giving you a call during the break, but you know, I felt like, okay, Kathy can handle things if she, if she needs to wake you up. Um, l- let's start here. I guess just your expectations for Black Monday. I think for the Colts, they kind of did Black Monday two months ago with Frank Reich. We're going to hear right. from Jeff Saturday. I assume he will say that he wants the gig permanently, and then it sounds like we'll hear from Chris Bauer later in the week. But I guess I don't expect a whole lot of like massive news from the Colts. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of my assumption. Yeah, I think again, like you said, we've already had our news. Uh, I just there, there's I don't the you know, the only thing that Jeff can tell us is that damn I don't want any part of this. 
and I don't think he will. We talked to him, must have been three weeks ago, and, and he was still you know, all in. He wants to do it. He, wa- he, wants, he wants to have a chance to start from ground zero and build from there, you know, in, in April and March and April, not in the middle of this dumpster fire. So I think he still wants to. I really do. But I don't know what other news could come out. We're supposed to talk to some players. I'd love to talk to Shaq Leonard and see how his second back surgery is going. But as far as coaches and Chris Battles, I mean, Jim Ursay is on record as saying Chris will be back, and we know that the owner has been known to change his mind. But if we get Chris Battles tomorrow, he's got to be the GM. He just has – you can't put him out there and then two weeks later fire him. So, Did, didn't they do that with Grigson, though, after the 2015 season? Boy, that's uh, – I'd have to go back and look. You might be right. Your member is better than mine. But you, you might be right. It's just wrong to do, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm curious on that, and I'm curious how soon and how long the coaching search is going to go. Uh, you know, how deep will it be? Will, it'll include Jeff. Is it going to include Jim Harbaugh? Is it going to include people like that, Jim Caldwell? So I don't know. It's really going to be interesting. But I, I think the owner down deep would like to give Jeff a chance. I'm just not sure how you do that. Mike Chappell's our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. <laughs> Chap, you've covered the Colts, as I'd mentioned, since the Mayflowers arrived. So I-, I wanted to ask you this. There is so much talk about Jim Mersey's involvement with decisions this year, notably at the quarterback position, obviously at the coaching position. And there has always been, I think this is a city and a fan base, if they are old enough, that has a PTSD, Jim Mersey included having this, of the Bob Ursay involvement and meddling from the ownership box. Have we seen more of that this year from Jim Mersey than in years past? Or is it something that necessarily isn't new, it just this year was more illuminated because of the people that were affected? No, it was new. I can't think of too many times when, when Jim Ursay has stepped in so so obviously and usurped everyone else's you know duties. Bob Ursay used to do that, do that all the time. This is I I keep thinking of what went on, and, and all I can come down to is all off season they had pointed and Kevin. We were in the in the media room. We were always talking about. AFC South, division, 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 and everything's built towards a good start. Remember, they changed the training camp schedule uh, for, for this, and then they go out and they just and they just play awful in, in Houston, and they play even worse at Jacksonville. And, and and this is after nationally, this team was considered the AFC South favorite. So I think the longer it went, the more irritated, the, the, the more that the passion and anger just just boiled. And at some point, he just said, "No, this is enough." But again, this started with this started with Carson Wentz, and I'm not so sure that Chris Ballard wasn't semi on board. Not he wasn't driving the ship like Ursay was. But then the other the other decisions are things that are more Bob Ursay like, and that's that's my concern. Is I think it's very well, it's his team. He can do with, he, he can name you head coach Jake if he wants. You got you you yeah, got come you on had now. as much you had as much NFL experience as Jeff Saturday did before he got here. So, but but I think you got to be really really careful. I remember early in his ownership, he told me that one of the owners said, "Hey, you know the, the good thing about an owner gig is you enjoy being an owner. You put the right people in place and you let them run your team." For the most part, he did that with Bill Pulley, and for the most part. I think he did that with, with Gregson for the most part. And up until recently, I think he's done, a, done that with Chris Ballard. But you cannot have a GM who is wondering, well, this is what I, this is the direction we need to go. This is what I want to do. This is the player. And then the owner say, nah, we're going to do something else. It's just hard to have people want to come to your franchise when they wonder how strong the owner's hand's going to be. He's got to have input. It's his team. But you got a GM there for a reason. Let him do his job. 
Chap, I feel like... Still can't get Jake as head coach out of my head. You thought oh, transcribing Ursay was so hard, Chap. You imagine following Jake's analogies when you transcribe? That's right. Um, let me run... And I know this will stun you. Mike Chappell's our guest. That I'm going to run like a, a, a Freudian thought past you and then have you critique it, Mike. But I have this... I, I can't get past this feeling in my mind that... Jim Irsay, when he named Jeff Saturday the interim coach, probably in the back of his mind, thought he was going to pick up the paper or turn on the television the next day and just soak in the admiration from people that just applauded and cheered this outside-the-box hire of, gosh, how did we not think of that? And instead, the exact opposite happened, and he was lampooned and lamblasted across the country for it from football people. And that, in fact, is what caused him to dig his heels in deeper on Jeff Saturday being the long-term guy because he's hell-bent to show as the owner he knows more about football than people give him credit. Your thoughts? I hope not. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad reason to, to make a decision. You know, I, I think what... Again, at that press conference, I mean, he is a Jeff Saturday fan. I know that from being around him, which is fine. And, and he and he loves Edge and Reggie and Dwight and Peyton and Marv. And, but you can't let that be your driving force. And I think he brought Jeff in. The overriding factor was was to, to change the culture. I guess I think things had started to, dr- to drift with the locker room and, and things. But they, the, the the lack of coaching experience w- was so huge, and, and it was totally exacerbated by, oh, by the way, you fired your offensive coordinator, and you fired your head coach who actually ran the, the offense, and then a, a week or so later, a tight ends coach left. So you've got a bare-bones offensive staff, and, and it sort of looked like it down the stretch. So... I, again, I, what I would tell people is that don't just shrug off Jim Irsay considering just Saturday. I, I think there's a chance. I think it's more than a puncher's chance. But I, I just don't know how. And maybe he simply doesn't care. I don't know how you sit up there in two weeks and say, I'm thrilled to be here. Jeff Saturday's our head coach. And... This is why I think I think they put Jeff in a position to fail, like they did. Gosh, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles, Park Frazier, and he who could they put in that spot and and them have a decent record? Leaving Frank there probably would have worked. So I don't know. You know, maybe one of these days Frank will be a really good head coach. I just think this was a tough time. This might be a tough, a tough thing, but hey, if Ursay goes that way, you'll say, "Well, you know, it's his team; it's it's his, it's his backyard. He can do what he wants." But I, I just don't know how you justify it with with what you've got as evidence. Again, he's the one and only Mike Chapel. He's with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline, CBS Four, Fox Fifty Nine. We'll hear from Jeff Saturday coming up in a few hours. Locker room cleanout day. Tentatively, Chris Boward scheduled to meet the media, I believe, tomorrow as the Colts begin the offseason. Chap, I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you. Chris Ballard returning at 80%. Jeff Saturday returning at 60%. What would be your reaction to those two numbers? I would say Ballard's low. I I, I think he's back. I I just do. I I think the owner really, really trusts him. And and I'm sure you've talked about it. We can argue that that's maybe too – maybe he shouldn't be so strong for Chris. 60%, 60%, I was going to say 50 for Jeff. And people, again, people might be surprised it's that high, but I'm telling you, folks, uh, he, he very much wants it. And the owner, the last time I talked to him, he sounded like he very much wants him to be here. But that, that was before uh, the Giants, and it was before last night. Uh, although <laughs> losing the game actually helped their draft status, so maybe that's, that's a plus for you. Does losing the game add to the embarrassment of uh, of the season? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it does. It, I mean, how, how, how can it? And, and, and I guess I asked that chap in saying, you know, I've oftentimes heard with Earth say, "Don't embarrass me." Well, they've had well, weekly embarrassments since Thanksgiving. Holy smokes! 
and again, I kept two or three times you would write, and, and you as well, well, they've reached rock bottom. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a game next week. You know, you thought rock bottom was, was Dallas. <laughs> yeah. You thought rock bottom then was was uh, Minnesota. So, I don't know. I, 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 you, sometimes you think you know what's going to happen, and I don't. I, I, I just don't. But no, it's crazy that that again. You, you think losing at home to to Houston, Houston crying out loud. Uh, that, that's another embarrassment. And uh, some of the stuff has happened on national TV. But they need. It's funny. We've we've talked that like well, the last season, the last two seasons were the most important off seasons for the franchise. No, it's it, now it's this one because because you mucked up the last two. So I'm really curious how the next few months unfold. Jap, what percent of Chris Ballard's perceived job security at this time is based in Jim Mersey liking and believing the Chris Ballard body of work, and what percent of it is Chris Ballard's under contract through 26? Good question. I hope it's 90% his personnel. Actually, I really do. But let's not pretend that the money's not real. But but I just uh, I just think if you start if an owner starts you know letting the money dictate if, if that's the case then Jeff Saturday cut I mean you you know or or some little known college guy you got to get the best guy and and I, I, to, to a point the the money's real they're paying Frank what twenty five thirty million I mean that that's real money so it's a good question though. I hope it's 90%, if not higher, that he really believes Chris is the right guy. Is it going to be increasingly difficult, Mike, for for Jim Mersey, for example, you talked about they still owe Frank Reich a lot of money. As situations arise, if the and the Colts have not done this to their credit, I have not heard the Colts say, "Hey, we, we we simply don't have the funding to do that." I haven't heard that. But if they start making decisions based on money that would be owed to someone and buyouts and things like that, is it going to be difficult to sell a fan base on that when then during the off season you're sending out press releases about the millions you're spending for drumsticks and guitars? <laughs> I hope and I don't mean that to be funny, things. but but no, but no, but you know, people always say, well, you know, if he not signing not, not signing this guy means he can buy another, you know, John Lennon guitar, or Paul McCartney guitar. Uh, yeah, I, again, it's again money. Yeah, they're gonna, you know, like that, like Matt Ryan, you know, almost certainly won't be back next year because they saved seventeen million dollars, and he and he didn't play real well when he was here at near the end. Although he won their four games for him, but money's always a factor. It, it just is, and how much money you can save and how much money it's going to cost. I I just I, I do believe to a point that the owner will do whatever it takes to get a winner. But there but there's still a, a choke point on on what you know whatever it takes means. It's you know they're not going to pay they're not going to pay a coach twenty million dollars probably. Would they bring Harbaugh here? For twenty million dollars a year, really? Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Not that they wouldn't want to, but but could they afford that? And there's times in the off season with free agency that we always well, you, they could make this work with the cap. I mean, you can do this well, but but it, it's the real money uh, that sometimes keeps them from doing what they want to do or, or feel like they need to do. It's you know, it, it's a guaranteed money that's real money, and, and that's that's so different from the cap. So, uh, again, I believe the owner will do whatever it takes financially, but there's always got to be a limit on how that impacts players and coaches and everything else. Over the weekend, we saw the Jacksonville Jaguars win the AFC South. That now secures that Jacksonville, Houston, and Tennessee have all won multiple divisional titles and have all won multiple playoff games since the Colts last won a single divisional title. How much does that eat at Jim Irsay? I think we use the word embarrassment. That's that's what it is. It's embarrassing. And what did they win one game in the division this year? Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that's 
and, and again, I go back to that. That's what's been, remember, Jim Mercy at the owners' meetings when it was Tennessee and Mike Vrabel in Tennessee and, you know, kicked our ass and this, that, and the other. And then you go out and you lose your first two games in the division. That is so much of it. You can't, it all starts in your division. I, you know, I, I realized back in the day the Colts had a 10 times better roster with, with Peyton and all those guys, but they routinely owned the division as they should have. And now that that's just like a distant, distant memory, and you can't, it's hard to to think of them getting back to that. I mean, aren't you sitting there watching Jacksonville thinking, this is the AFC South team for the next, I don't know, four or five years that you got to deal with? Because they've got a head coach who knows what the hell he's doing, and they got a quarterback. I mean, I realize there were times, this year, a few times, where Trevor Lawrence didn't play that well, but my goodness, the last half of the season... He looks like the real deal, and they got young talent around him. And he's twenty three, chap. He's twenty three years right. old. How about the? It's no, it's no different than when Peyton came in, and he's gonna if if he's the right guy, he's gonna be there for ten years. That's what this team has to deal with. The other teams, Tennessee's a mess. They're a mess, and Houston. Yeah, they got all these draft picks and the number of brick, but but you don't know, and they've messed up draft picks before. At least Jacksonville has a quarterback and young talent around him. No one else in this division does. Chap, I've got two quick ones before we let you go, and really appreciate the time this morning. To your guys' point about Trevor Lawrence and his age, the oldest quarterback in the playoffs in the AFC, Patrick Mahomes at 27 years old. If you need to have any further reminder of how important it is that the Colts draft a quarterback coming up here in April. Um, so my question off that would be, do you think Jim Mercer will mandate the drafting of a quarterback in round one? Well, I would hope so, and I would think that the GM would say, well, of course we are. Yeah. Although although we've sat there before, and, and you know, and Chris was very clear, it's got to be the right guy. Because if it's not the right guy, what do you say, you're all going to run my ass out of town? But I... Can, can you imagine the, the 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 blowback if they take, I don't know, a, an offensive tackle, a, a pass rusher at two or, or at four? Although I think they're going to try to move up and take their quarterback in the future around two. It'll be a hard sell. You said but people you, drive off the road on four sixty five. Yeah, hearing that thought, chap. Yeah, people thought it, it, it was upsetting when they took Edger over Ricky Williams. Uh, but they, they've got to get their guy. The one thing, the, the fan base is really upset now, or apathetic, whichever, and you, you'd rather have them be upset. But if you can get a quarterback that you can believe in, that you think's a guy, it gives you hope. Well, you know, we're going to not be very good this year, but we've got this guy, and Peyton was 3-13 and 13 and all that stuff. But it gives you, it gives you a, a chance to see the light down, down the road. You know, it's also going to buy the head coach and the GM sometime. Because whoever they take, it's going to take a year or two to get things together. But, boy, they just don't they just – and then you bring in a young quarterback, who's your veteran guy, you know, to, to kind of get you to when the rookie's ready. I mean, that, who's the next veteran in line? Last one from me, chap. Your biggest question for Chris, Chris Ballard tomorrow is what? Wow. I need to think about that. But, but how much – ooh – how how do you feel that your that your power has been diminished by the owner and is that expected when you've got an owner like that like when you've got an owner or would you rather he just let you do your job I, there's got to be a better way of, of, of answering that but that's sort of what I'm wondering is does he feel like he's been diminished as a GM and and to some level how can you not Chap, I'm going to give you a chip. Jim Mercer likes to say all chips in, right? Yep. We're going to play the roulette wheel. I'm going to spin the roulette wheel. You have the chip. You get to place it on one of three numbers. And if okay. that number hits, you get a million dollars, okay? Super. You are picking, of these three <laughs> slots, you are picking the one that if you put your chip on it, and on opening day of next season – the person that you put your chip on is not a part of the Colts franchise. You get the million dollars. Your three, your three square option here, Chris Ballard, 
Slot two, Jeff Saturday. Slot three is the combo, Shaquille Leonard and Matt Ryan. Your chip goes where? Jeff Saturday. If it's got to be Leonard and Matt Ryan, I'm not sure how you move Leonard if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, it's going to be hard to move him. With the injury. And I think Chris is back, and I think Chris is going to be given every chance to rebuild this. So I would say Jeff Saturday. Unless you got number four for me, and I don't think you do. Jonathan Taylor. Well, he'll be here. Give, give me a, give me Bobby Okereke or well, Okereke is a free agent. That's why I didn't man, put him. Chap there, wants right? a layup for these million for this million yeah, dollars well, here. Well, I'm trusting I'm trusting you guys that, that you're going to tell me it lands on the right one, <laughs> and I don't trust you guys at all. <laughs> the, uh, you know the the interesting thing to me if if Ballard returns, which that's fine, I get it, but if he does, theoretically, Chap, he's got to be extended again. Because if he's drafting a quarter, if I'm Chris Ballard and I'm well, he's already a under contract through 2026. Yeah, but I'm starting. I mean, you need more than that. If, if, if the, yeah, 2026. If this thing isn't well on its way, I mean, they should already be in the playoffs by 2026. If not, there's going to be major hell to pay by everybody. I mean, you're starting so, uh, all over again. You draft a quarterback. The I've always said, chap. The clock doesn't start on a GM till he drafts a franchise quarterback, and that's probably going to happen this year, and then the clock starts ticking. You look at the AFC right now, guys. All seven playoff quarterbacks, 27 or younger. It can be done. And that's one of the things that that really irks the fan base and irks the owner is they look around the league, and everybody's got – not everybody, but there's a Joe Burrow and a Josh Allen and a Justin Herbert and Mahomes and on and on. And you say, gosh, I want one of those. Well, you know, you, you had two. You had two of those. So, but it's in, until you get that guy, until you get that guy, you're just another team. But, chap, it's why I get so fatigued on the whole, well, you know, the Colts got Andrew Luck's retirement just through the across. I get it. That was not easy. But you know what? Like, not every team that we're looking at right now in the postseason with a young, big-armed quarterback – did it fall into their lap? Some of them, they had to go out and get that guy, and the Colts have sent back. Well, the, the, we're getting, I, I think, the expiration date of the Andrew Luck screwed his team over. we got to get past that because, totally. yes, he, he did what, what was right for him, and he screwed the team. Both things are right. Good for Andrew. He did what was right. But let's not, let's not dismiss the fact that he screwed this team. But, yes, he did, but... Get over it. Get past it and find a doggone quarterback. Chap, thank you for waking up with us, and uh, I will see you in a few hours. Take care, guys. See you, Jake.